Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Miami. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 688 for release on Sunday, May 1st, 2022. On WaveScan today, VOA shortwave relay station at Poro in the Philippines. We'll have our Japan DX report, information from Palau, and more on today's WaveScan. As we mentioned here in WaveScan three weeks back, the Voice of America VOA radio station at Poro was the third VOA base in the Philippines. And in reality, it was four radio stations combined at the one location. Today's topic is the story of their two shortwave stations at the Poro Point, 150 miles north of Manila, the national capital. And here now is a rather under-the-weather Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Thanks, Jeff. Well, I'm sorry to have to tell you that I've got COVID at the moment, so I suggest you stand well back. I've delayed recording this as long as I could, but here goes. I'll edit out the coughs and splutters afterwards. (laughs) The Poro radio stations were constructed on 200 acres at the Wallace Air Force Base. There were six transmitters in the original complement of shortwave transmitters at the site. There were two 15-kilowatt units. One was from Federal in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and one from Collins in Dallas, Texas. These two units were used for VOA international communications. And then for international broadcasting, there were two 35-kilowatt units, also from Collins in Dallas, Texas, and two 100-kilowatt units from General Electric in Syracuse, New York. All of the antenna systems, 15 in total, were simple and economic diamond-shaped rhombics pointed towards Asia. The station used commercially available electricity with emergency power generators that could power some of their equipment, though not all. International radio monitors noted that the first 35 kilowatt transmitter was on the air with test broadcasts in November 1953, and it was taken into regular service three months later in February of the following year, 1954. All of the additional shortwave transmitters were subsequently installed and activated progressively. The full complement of shortwave transmitters at the Poro station was taken into regular service during the year 1954, and it was listed as PHP in VOA scheduling documents. Thirty years later, the same six shortwave transmitters were still listed as in active service. However, on September 16, 1991, the Wallace Air Force Base was deeded over to the Philippine government, with the inevitable result that VOA Poro would one day be closed. Six years later, in April 1997, the Philippine government issued their declaration that Poro should be closed, just one month later, by the end of May 1997. Plans were underway for the development of Poro Point as a major tourist destination. However, by special arrangement, the life of those six shortwave transmitters was extended by more than two years, and the final on-air date was September 30th, 1999. The super-powered megawatt medium-wave transmitter, though, was permitted to continue in service for another 14 years. The shortwave antenna systems were demolished in 2004. 
There was another shortwave facility installed at Poro, and that was a portable unit that had been in temporary usage at the VOA station in Liberia, Africa. That VOA transportable station comprised three 50-kilowatt Gates transmitters from Quincy, Illinois. In VOA scheduling, the Poro transportable transmitters were identified with the symbol PHPX. The site for all four of the PoroPoint VOA relay stations, the two superpower medium wave transmitters plus the fixed and portable shortwave stations, can be found quite readily on Google Earth. The two medium wave station locations and their antenna systems are shown, together with the adjoining shortwave facility which is shown as a floor plan. The Google Earth view seems to be a strange combination of two different satellite views, one from 1985 and the other from a more recent though undated view. The usage of the portable PHPX at Poro also ended on September 30, 1999. That left just one VOA shortwave base remaining in the Philippines, and that was the large shortwave station at Tinang. But that's another story for another day. Time for another throat lozenge. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles, and we hope you get over uh, your COVID as soon as possible. Well, Palau's state broadcaster in the South Pacific now has a new AM service after a new tower was raised. EPFM Ngeral Balao, 87.9 FM, has been without an AM service since 2012 when Typhoon Bofa took out its AM tower. Muera Tuilaipa Taylor of Radio New Zealand was in Palau last week and filed this story. The head of the state broadcaster, Rondi Ronnie, says the AM tower will benefit all of the states in Palau. A lot of the outlying states are not able to connect into the internet and, and just don't have that, you know, capability. They don't have uh, very high-tech phones like how we do here in Karora, you know, so uh, people don't expect, you know, people from Angara, from bubbled up to be like on their phones all the time. He says this new tower will also be crucial to Palauans during times of disaster. But uh, at least during uh, emergencies, when power goes off, the radios still work. And so car radios still work. And so they want to be able to access an AM. The project was funded by Japan through the UNDP in the Pacific. Japan's ambassador to Palau, Akira Karasawa, says the project comprised of many elements relating to disaster management, disaster prevention and disaster preparedness. And this particular AM tower is uh, instrumental to disseminate information regarding uh, disaster to all the people in all the states of Palau. Very, very essential element of this project. He said the project was started a while back but was delayed by the pandemic. Well, I understand uh, almost uh, two or three years uh, has, have passed uh, since uh, we started uh, this project. But uh, anyway, we, we, we could succeed to providing uh, all the elements so far. The UNDP's Levin Bozadi says AM services are an important communication tool in the Pacific and it was great to see this one up and running. And we know that in the Pacific uh, most, of the na- most of our nations are uh, scattered across the ocean and uh, connectivity between those islands are uh, limited. So we understand that uh, 
by installing the AIM tower, we will have a better communication, especially southwestern part of uh, Palau. He says maintaining this communication is particularly important when the islands are struck by natural disasters. In disasters, as we know, due to climate change, uh, happen much more often and they are much more severe than they were in the past. So it's, uh, it's crucially important for a disaster response and also uh, from the point of view of uh, uh, having uh, those uh, outer island populations uh, under our response uh, domain. The Japan funding has also allowed for some of the outlying states to be equipped with VHF2A radios, providing an additional avenue for communication. That report from Moira Tuiliapa Taylor of Radio New Zealand. By the way, Ray Robinson tells us that this piece confirms that the AM transmitter is indeed part of the government station operating in Koror on 87.9 FM. Palau lies east of the southern Philippines and north of West Papua. The strong implication is that with the new tower having been erected, transmissions have restarted with the former transmitter on 1584 kHz with 5 kilowatts, unconfirmed. They say this provides much better coverage to the islands to the southwest, which were not previously reached by FM. Well, last week we also uh, told you about Radio Sputnik being available in the United States. Radio Sputnik, the uh, state-owned radio station of Russia, available on AM and FM radio in the United States. Well, meanwhile, in Russia, many people are trying to find ways to get around Russian control and censorship of the media. Igor Sikonenka of The Voice of America has the following report about how audiences in authoritarian countries can bypass censorship, including by shortwave radio. To keep citizens in Russia from receiving uncensored news about his invasion of Ukraine, President Vladimir Putin has blocked most independent media in the country. Experts believe the crackdown on the free flow of information will only worsen. But does it mean Russian citizens will have no access to balanced news? Well, not quite. Internet circumvention tools help audiences bypass censored information and access websites and news sources that are officially blocked. Here are some of the most popular and effective ones today. Virtual Private Network, or VPN, is arguably the most widely used circumvention tool. It works by creating a private tunnel between the user's computer and the internet that disguises the user's IP address and prevents others from seeing their web browsing or downloaded content. Because the information in the tunnel is encrypted, neither the internet service provider nor the government can monitor it. Just make sure to use a VPN that has been vetted by experts. That likely will rule out a free VPN provider that makes money by selling its clients' data to third parties like a government. Another easy way to circumvent state internet censorship is to use the free internet browser Tor, which stands for the Onion Router, because it creates layers and layers of encryption around the content you send and receive. Tor makes it impossible for the authorities to distinguish between permitted and prohibited websites that you visit. The websites also have no way to identify the user. VPN and Tor operate in different fashions. While a VPN encrypts and directs your data using a centralized network of servers, Tor is a decentralized tool operated by volunteers. But what if an authoritarian government completely cuts users off from the outside internet? Well, there is always the satellite internet. 
It's a technology that has been around for decades. Essentially, it beams data not through cables but from radio signals traveling through space. It involves stations on the ground that broadcast the signals to satellites in orbit, which are later relayed back to users on Earth. The largest constellation of such satellites today, around 2,000, is operated by Elon Musk's Starlink project. Customers can access the network using a kit sold by its parent company SpaceX. The kit contains a small satellite dish with mounting tripod, a Wi-Fi router, cables and a power supply. Now there is also, of course, the shortwave radio, popular during the Cold War. This type of communication is one of the cheapest and most effective ways of relaying information around the world. Shortwave broadcasts can easily be transmitted over a distance of several thousand kilometers from a single transmitter. The radio receivers are usually quite affordable and can be found at most electronic stores around the globe. With the advent of the Internet, the audience for these broadcasts has dwindled in most regions of the world. But as experts note, a new wave of censorship in some countries could help revive the technology for a new generation. There are also some circumvention tools that emerged right after the start of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. One of them was developed by a group of Polish hacktivists called Squad 303, who broke into and then downloaded a database of nearly 140 million Russian email addresses and 20 million cell phone numbers. It later set up a website that randomly generates phone numbers and email addresses from that Russian database. The founders of the project say millions of Russians do not know the truth about the causes of the war and that the world needs to convey that information to them. That was Igor Tsikonenka of The Voice of America. Well, we don't have a lot of information here on Wayscan uh, for beginners, yet we get reports from many people who tell us they're listening to shortwave radio for the first time and they've heard our program as one of the first things when they've tuned on to shortwave. Well, uh, we found a rather um, dated booklet. It's about 20 years old, but uh, the information is pretty much still relevant. Uh, called DX Tips for Beginners, and this was written by Carl Mann of Omaha, Nebraska, for KNLS in Anchor Point, Alaska. And we'll read some of it to you on this and coming editions of Wayscan. Let's start with the basics. You're probably familiar enough with the radio dial to know where the medium wave AM band is located. Shortwave is an extension upward of that band where radio signals take on a property to travel great distances. Let's look more closely and see why shortwave radio can reach out like it does and just what bands and megahertz are. First, a band is any group of continuous frequencies. The signpost to tell us where we are on the bands is the frequency itself, measured in megahertz or the metrically smaller kilohertz. To simplify, frequency is the number of radio waves per second that leave the station's antenna. If there are a thousand waves per second radiating from the antenna, the frequency is 1000 hertz, or a kilohertz. When you get up to one million waves per second, that's a thousand kilohertz, also called a megahertz. The same frequency can also be given as a wavelength in meters. This is not widely done anymore, like it was in the early days of radio, but identifying the meter bands is still commonplace. To picture the relationship between frequency and wavelength, 
visualize the radio waves, the electrical fields traveling outward from the station antenna. The number of waves radiated per second is the frequency, and the distance between each wave leaving the antenna measured in meters is the wavelength. So as the frequency gets higher, the wavelengths become shorter. You'll notice that the meter bands are measured in smaller numbers as the frequency becomes higher. To illustrate, the 5 MHz region is the 60 meter band, and the 9.5 MHz area is the 31 meter band. To help understand shortwave reception, you must understand the basic ways radio signals travel, called propagation. Propagation changes as you tune from one end of the band to the other. The shortwave band extends from 1.6 MHz to 30 MHz. Starting at the low end, a radio signal will travel along the ground for much longer distances, over 100 miles. Also, lower frequency signals are more likely to suffer from atmospheric storms and static. The static lessens as you tune higher. But more importantly, the ground waves of these higher frequency stations become smaller. In place of a large ground wave, the radiated power from the station becomes increasingly stronger in an upward path, and that becomes a sky wave. It's this sky wave on higher frequency stations that can travel such long distances. They go upward, reflect off the ionosphere high above the Earth, and land back on Earth a thousand miles away. This is called a skip signal, and it's why these higher shortwave frequencies can reach around the world. But there is an upper limit past which these higher frequencies no longer bounce off the ionosphere. After reaching a certain high frequency, which can vary from day to day, the sky wave penetrates the ionosphere and travels on into space instead of reflecting back to Earth. That's why higher frequency broadcasts from FM, television, and two-way communications don't go around the world like shortwave does. Now let's look at the receiver. Receivers that cover the shortwave bands of 1.6 to 30 megahertz, or any grouping of the popular bands in between, vary in size and quality. Portables with frequencies displayed numerically are becoming popular and are handy for general listening especially while traveling. Home sets, especially those approaching industrial quality, are better for DX listening, but are more expensive. When choosing a receiver right for your pocketbook, be sure to check the coverage first. It should cover the range of frequencies you want. Some sets are made for ham bands only. Some older portables try to crowd all the international broadcast frequencies into three or four bands on the set. After that, the two features to look for on a shortwave receiver are sensitivity and selectivity. Sensitivity is the ability of the receiver to pick up a weak signal and is measured in a signal-over-noise ratio. The selectivity is the ability of the receiver to separate stations that are close together. Without good selectivity, nearby stations will create a high-pitched tone and weaker ones will be buried altogether. Some sets have wide and narrow selectivity positions because the narrow listening doesn't allow the full sound of the station to be enjoyed. Those are the basic requirements. 
you'll find some good receivers on the market at reasonable prices, but the price goes up as more features are added to the set. So you must determine if you really want some of the additional gadgets and if it is worth it to your pocketbook. Some features are standard with the set. A good feature is the single sideband mode, abbreviated SSB on the set. This allows you to listen to single sideband transmissions and can add even more selectivity when used under difficult listening conditions. Okay, that was some basic information uh, from a publication called DX Tips for Beginners by Carl Mann, written for the New Life Station, KNLS in Anchor Point, Alaska. Now let's go to Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo, Japan. Hello and welcome to the DX Report of the Month from Japan Shortwave Club, edited by Toshi Otake, and I'm Yukiko Tsuji. We have several DX reports from our club members this week. Radio Vanuatu was heard on 7260 kHz on April 3rd, from 0850 to 0930 UTC in Bislama. SIO rating was 343. Local pop music was played until 0900, then ID was given. Message from COVID-19 Media Information Center was aired. Phone in program began at 0919. Radio Thailand was heard on 15590 kHz on April 2nd from the sign-on at 0000 to 0030 UTC in English. SIO rating was 454. National news was broadcast, followed by business news at 0016 and APEC briefing at 0026. After this broadcast, its Thai program started at 0030. Voice of Wilderness via Tashkent, Uzbekistan was received on 9330 kHz on April 5th from the sign-on at 1400 to the sign-off at 1500 UTC in Korean. SIO rating was 554. Talk program and hymn were aired. ID was given at 1412. This was the religious broadcast to North Korea. Voice of Greece was heard on 9420 kHz on March 30th from 2047 to 2110 UTC in Greek. SIO rating was 242. Greek songs were played and ID was given at 2100. Then talk program and Greek songs were broadcast. Vatican Radio was heard on 17790 kHz on April 10th from 0840 to the sign-off at 0930 UTC in Russian. SIO rating was 352. Talk program with Mass and Him was on the air. Channel 292 from Roback, Germany was received on 9670 kHz on April 2nd from 1930 to 2020 UTC in English. SIO rating was 252. Offshore History Radio was a discussion program by two men with ID of some pilot stations. World Christian Broadcasting via Madagascar was heard on 11965 kHz on April 7th from 2045 to the sign-off at 2058 UTC in English. SIO rating was 352. African Pathways Radio 
Gospel songs and a talk were broadcast. Rai Argentina Armundo via WRMY Okeechobee, USA was received on 9455 kHz on April 2nd from 0900 to 0930 UTC in Japanese. SIO rating was 252. Talk program with a song hosted by Ms. Ueda Keiko was on the air. At 0930, Rai English program started. Radio Voz Missionaria, Camboriú, Brazil, was heard on 5938.7 kHz on March 14th. From 0908 to 0930 UTC in Portuguese, SIO rating was 343. Talk program by a male announcer and the local songs were aired. ID was given at 0915. Finally, Japan Shortwave Club will issue the QSL cards for the correct reports on a segment of WaveScan program. We are issuing QSL card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is jswcqsl at live.jp. I repeat, jswcqsl at live.jp. We continue to issue the printed QSL card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO Box 44 Kamakura, which is K-A-M-A-K-U-R-A, postal code 248-8691, Japan. One ILC or two US dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we would like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani and Mr. Chiaki Shimada for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Showtape Club. I'm Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo. Thank you, Yukiko. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, BBC London celebrates 100 years. Meeting with station 2LO. Also our Philippine DX report. Reminder that we have several QSL cards available for WaveScan. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for this program to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy, or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air, Here in the program, they will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. Here is the email address for AWR QSLs. QSL at AWR dot O-R-G. The postal address for AWR QSL cards is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234. Prakanon, 
That's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to Wavescan, not reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Miami. Till next week, good listening, everyone. Thank you.